At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. All right, good morning once again. It's good to be with you. Uh, I'm going to do something a little different this morning in our sermon uh, because of uh, the kids here in the room, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to ask some well-trained, prodigious, intelligent, I mean, they are world-class theologians to, uh, to join us here uh, this morning. So Lauren, would you come up? And Dylan, uh, would you come up here as well this morning? Um, I've got some kids that are going to help us uh, with, uh, with the message today, with the Word of God uh, in that. How are you, Dylan? Good. You want to say hi? Hi. Lauren, how are you? Good. Good. How old are you, Dylan? Uh, ten. Ten. Come right up here so everybody can see you. That, that's, and Lauren, how old are you? Ten. Ten. Okay. You guys want to hold this, and you can just share it back and forth. I'll give you an opportunity. Now, I have some questions for you guys this morning. This is not rehearsed, by the way, so I have no idea what's coming next, okay? We're going to have fun, though, right? Okay? You guys ready to have fun? Okay. Um, Dylan and Lauren, uh, they're going to share with us this morning. I want to know, do you guys, I've got got four questions for you, okay? First of all, um, do you know what favoritism is? What do you think? Think about it for a minute. Do you know what favoritism is? Having a favorite or something? Okay, tell them in the mic. Having something that's a favorite. Okay, having something is a favorite. Yeah, yeah, that's, that would be one thing. Dylan, what about you? Do you got something that you would say is favoritism? Do you know what that is? Oh, uh, yeah. You do? Okay, well, grab the mic there and tell us about it. Um, like, uh, can I give an example? Yeah, give an example. That's helpful, yeah. Like if you have something that you like better than something else, and then you call that your favorite, so you like that better than okay. the other thing you have. So if you have like... Two options between like chocolate ice cream and vanilla ice cream, and you like your your favorite is chocolate. You choose chocolate ice cream, right? Okay, that, okay, that's an idea of favoritism. Have you ever have you ever found like people to be favorites and some people not to be favorites? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Okay, let's think about it this way. Um, have Have you ever been has has anybody ever shown you favoritism before? Have you ever seen it like happen in the world? Yes. Okay. You want to tell me about it? Lauren, have you got an idea? No, Lauren has an idea too. You think about it, Dylan, and let Lauren answer it. Right? Here. My cousin Savannah, like, she'll always want to hang out with me, but not with my sisters. Oh, much. okay. Okay. I hope Savannah's not watching the live stream right now. That would be really awkward. Okay, that's an idea of favoritism. Dylan, what do you got? You got one? Yeah, I think I do. Uh, my grandma told me I'm a favorite. Oh, no! <laughs> I'm part of the other two grandchild, so I'm just, I'm just going with You're it. You're the favorite. All right. Now, here. Okay, now let's, let's take it one step deeper. This is the good stuff. We didn't rehearse this. Do you think it's okay for people to play favorites? Why or why not? Being the favorite, Dylan, you may struggle with that, right? <laughs> do you think? What do you think? Is it okay for people to play favorites? Why or why not? Uh, because, um, uh, what was that? If you want to think about it and let Lauren answer. I think she's got an answer ready. She's... 
Um, it's not okay because other people can be hurt because okay. they're not like the favorite. Okay, that's that's good. Other people can be hurt. What do you, what do you think, Dylan? Um, you can make somebody upset. Okay, you can make somebody upset. Okay, last question here, and then I'll let you off this uncomfortable stage, and you don't have to deal with this anymore. How do you think God feels about favoritism? Not okay. Not okay. Okay. Good, good. Lauren, what do you think? How do you think God feels about favoritism? Sad that we don't like everyone, but we like a certain person. Okay. Very good. Very good. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a hand. like out of the mouth of small children, right? They, they get this concept. They, they see how it plays itself out in their lives and, and uh, understand the consequences and the ramifications uh, of that. So let's go to James chapter two. Well, that's our passage this morning. We've been in this series called Live the Truth, not just live your truth. We aren't, uh, we aren't called to make up the truth as we'd want. Oh, let's bring up the lights again. Um, but uh, called to, uh, to live the truth. And so if you have your Bible, open up to James chapter two. Uh, verses 1 through 13. And if you'd stand with me, let me read this passage for us um, together. And we'll pray. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court, aren't they not the ones who blaspheme the whole honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come before you and come before your holy word. We thank you. Lord, we, we confess already, even in hearing from Ethan and Elena, that we, we live in a society that is filled with partiality and favoritism. And this is very much our condition. So Lord, this morning, as we have heard your word and as we now seek to deeper understand what you say to us, well, we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would, would serve as a, a, a doctor for our souls, that he would take your word and that he would cut out that which is of the flesh and of sin and death within us, and that he would give us humility and repentance 
and faith that leads to obedience. Help us to love and to show mercy to those that we would be told not to show love and mercy to in this culture. Help us to to live in mature faith. And so help us now. We thank you again for your word. We ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so what do we do with this idea of favoritism? What do we do with this, uh, with this reality about partiality? Are we playing favorites in this world? You may have to ask yourself, and I, and I don't think the examination should be too hard, but, but it is worth asking, are there people that we prefer, people that, that we would be, play favorites with, that we would want to be around, that we would devote ourselves to, that we would give more attention to, that we would, we would honor and even try and elevate uh, at the same time, trying to exclude or diminish another set of people. Are we playing favorites? Now, I'm asking this question because James has been dealing in, in his letter here with what does mature faith look like? What is, what is a faith that's growing? What is a faith that, as he says it in verse 3 of chapter 1, a faith that is perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? What does that kind of faith really, really look like? And he's been, he's been dealing with this and helping us unpack this, not only for the Jewish Christians that were the first recipient of this letter scattered all over the Roman world, but for us in the 21st century in Southeast Michigan today, how do we handle and how do we seek to grow in our faith and become mature people that are, are lacking in nothing spiritually? James has been unpacking, he's been dealing with several things. He talked about what does mature faith look like in the midst of trials and hardship? What do, we, what do we do? How do we live in the midst of those difficult trials and temptations? He talked about what does mature faith look like when it doesn't know what to do and we're called to ask God for wisdom with faith and trusting him. Last week he dealt with the, the question of what does a mature faith, a faith in Jesus Christ really look like when we have either po- prosperity or poverty on the other end? How do we handle our possessions? And and here in chapter two, James wants to address what mature faith does in relationship to others. So he really goes horizontal here and says, let's talk about your relationships with one another. And let's talk about your relationships even within the local assembly, in the church itself. How do you relate to each other? And he wants to put his finger on a practice that, that he calls and describes as sin and is against the will of God. It is not walking in, his, in God's ways. But, but he isn't just putting the finger on something that's going on in the first century, in the Jerusalem church or the church scattered abroad in the Roman Empire. He's putting the finger on what we are dealing with today here in the 21st century in America, this this sin of partiality. And in dealing with it and how we relate to one another, he he wants to address not just how we think about each other, but, but who do we prefer? How do we live in relationship to others and to the people that we really don't want to be around? Let me put the sermon in a sentence in this way. We're talking about mature faith. So mature faith shows no favoritism. Mature faith shows no favoritism. If we were to think about our lives growing in our faith and being mature and complete spiritually, lacking in nothing, we have to see that true faith, mature faith, shows no favoritism. Well, maybe the question is, well, what is this favoritism? And how does it reveal itself in our lives? And and what does it look like? And how do we make sure that our faith has no favoritism? How do we do do this? Well, I want to show us two things here in this text that James calls us to. The first one is for us to not measure people by what they can give you. Now, this is where favoritism starts. We measure people by what they can give us, but, but Scripture calls us to not measure people by what they can give us. So James starts with a command in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, 
Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, now he has in kind of two hands this, this, this command. Show no partiality. Don't play favorites. That's how some English translations have it. They use the term favoritism instead of partiality. It's, it's the same word, but I'll dive into what it means in just a moment. On one hand, don't show partiality because on the other hand, you're holding faith in the Lord Jesus. That is to say, if you are playing favorites with others in society, in the church, in culture, you, you're not going to be able to hold, in the other hand, faith in Jesus. They, they go together. And so, so you must not show partiality because you're holding your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and James is particular to describe him as the Lord of glory or the glorious one. He's like, as we think through uh, hierarchies and we think through who's preferred and who's, who's diminished in our society and in our world, we've got to have our eyes fixed on the Lord of glory, who is the greatest of all, Jesus, who is the king on his thrones. And the action of showing favoritism or partiality, he says, it's not to be a part of the Christian life or the ethic. That, that is to say, you cannot hold the faith, cannot be a true Christian, and show partiality in your life. This, this levels all of us. But what does it mean to show partiality? What is this favoritism that he's talking about? Well, James gives a really helpful example. It's an example I think that, that um, they experienced in their uh, gatherings in their church, and, and in some ways we do today, but it, at least it sets the table for what partiality may look like. And it's an extreme example for sure. I think we're a little bit more subtle and a little bit more clever. Maybe we figured out how to do this better, but, but James brings it out nonetheless. He says, in verse two and three, he's got the example. We've got people coming to church. He says, so a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. The word there is synagogue, into your, your gathering of worship. And there's, there's people that are gathering, but, but you notice this one in particular individual. Maybe you're standing at the door back there and you're just watching the cars come into the parking lot and you notice somebody roll up in a really, really expensive Lamborghini. I mean, just... It's, it's bright cherry red. It is fast as it can be. And you notice the gull wing doors flip open and out pops this individual. that They are just wearing Prada and Gucci and, and they are just dressed to the nines like they are exuding wealth. I mean, this feels like money is just falling out of their pockets. James uses the word uh, there to describe, like he says a gold ring on his finger. Literally, it's gold fingered, okay? This guy has the Midas touch. He looks at it, touches it. It's gold, baby. And that's how he's rolling. So he comes into the assembly and you see him, you're like, wow, who is this guy? Like, we want him to stick around at our church. Like, it would be great to have him here. He's gonna be an asset to us. I bet if he gives well, like, we could pay off for a new building altogether. So let's really, let's, let's roll out the car, red carpet for him. Let's give him the VIP treatment. I mean, let's, you guys right there need to move because that's the best seat in the house and we're gonna give it to that guy, right? He's gonna sit right there because he can see me the best. He can hear the music the best. So we, James is just saying like, this is what it's like. This guy comes in, you pay attention to him, verse three, and, and that idea of paying attention is like you give devoted attention to. Like you prefer him, you cater to his needs. Like you, oh sir, what can we do for him? That's, that's the rich guy and he's there and you're fully attentive to him. But then there's somebody else. A poor man, shabby clothing, also comes in. Now, this is the individual who's perhaps homeless. They don't have much. I mean, the car, the muffler is dragging on the street as it barely gets into the parking lot in a, smoke, in a plume of smoke. And, and, and they roll out of their car filled with every earthly possession that they have because they live there. And they haven't had a bath or a shower in weeks. And so they come in and they smell and you, I mean, you could smell them. 
out in the lobby. You just know they're there. And so you've got Mr. Goldfinger and that individual who's in desperate poverty and need, and they're both here in your gathering. And all of a sudden, you're inclined towards the rich person. You're, you're eager to have their affluence and their prominence in your, in your midst. Everybody wants to be friends with that guy. But the poor man, the, the poor person that's there, James, James says, you don't say to him, sit in a good place. You say to the poor man, and James has the idea of like, you've backed off. You're like, hey, dude, just stay there. Like, don't get any closer. You stink. I don't, ugh. I don't want anything to do with you. You, you, you. you yell at him from across the room. You say, you stand over there. You don't even give him a place to sit. You're like, Just stand back there in the corner, be quiet, and listen. Or sit down at my feet. James has the idea of like, like not the best place, but like, I'm just gonna like, be above you. You look down and nose at him. That's the example that James gets, and it's really extreme, right? We all know, just clearly by this example, bad, right? That is not how we should live. That is not what Jesus calls us to do. But what are the subtle, what are the subtle partialities that we play out? Nobody here is that extreme, I hope. But we, we lean in a little bit differently. Here, here's where partiality shows itself up. James says in verse 4, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Here's what partiality is. Here's what this favoritism is. You start dividing the room. You make distinctions. The word divided there. You divide up the church. These are the people that have, and these are the people who have not. These are the smart people. These are the dumb people. These are the white people. These are the minority people. These are the affluent. These are the, you can just make divisions all over the place, and that's the exact kind of partiality that he says. You start dividing things up. You divide among yourselves. These are the people that can give me a better reputation, better prominence. These are the people who have nothing to offer me, and so I don't need to deal with them at all. These are the young, hip people. These are the old, crusty folks that I don't want to talk to anymore. We divide. Not only that, but we, secondly, become judges with evil thoughts. Now it's not just a matter of, of simple things that, that would divide us. Now we begin to moralize those things. So some are right and some are wrong. Some are better, some are worse. We, we make these distinctions on image bearers and we judge them with evil thoughts. We may not say it. That's the subtle thing about partiality. We may never have to say it. It's just what's going on here in our mind. Oh, those people. I mean, do you, have, do you literally have that category in your mind and heart about others? Those people? You won't even name them. You won't even describe them. They're just those they're not my people, they're not our people, they're those people. You just push them off to the side. One is good and worthy of our attention, and the other is disgusting, second-rate, to be ignored. That's partiality. That's the sin here that James is confronting. And friends, I want us to think for a moment here about how guilty we are of this in our lives. Because this is a cultural reality in America today. This is something that we have built into our DNA as Americans. We make distinctions and then judge with evil thoughts other image bearers in the world. We separate in judgment in humanity. So we divide based on race and ethnicity. We divide based on gender. We divide based on education or economic position. We divide and judge on zip code or type of residence. We divide and judge based on marital status. And we, we make our judgments with our evil thoughts. 
White is better than black or brown. Male is better than female. College educated is better than blue collar or no college at all. 48170 is a better zip than 48210. That's downtown Detroit. And really, for those of us who really know what's going on, 48168, Northville, is the best zip of all, right? We divide and we judge. Married is better than single. All of these measurements are divisions are, are judgments and they're evil. And we base them on what people can do for us. That's how we look at other people. Let's acknowledge that. Let's just own that reality. I look at you and you look at me for what can you do for me today? And if you can do something for me to help elevate my reputation or make me feel good or provide something for my pockets or, or serve me in some way, great, we're in. But if you have nothing to offer me, if you can't serve me in some way or build up my life in some way, I have no use for you. That's how we divide and judge. Now, this is where economically it sits in James's world because he's got the Roman citizens that are just full of wealth and they're looking down on the slaves and those in the community and just that way. But for us, it's, it's no different than the partiality. We're still playing favorites. And, and this word is for us just as much as it was for those in the first century. James says in verse five, listen. Listen, beloved brothers and sisters. And he asks four rhetorical questions here. He says, I want you to think about who you're playing favorites towards. You're looking for the affluent, the powerful, the strong, the culturally hip, the cool, the young to give you all the support. But at the same time, aren't they the ones that are undoing and mocking the very name of Jesus? These are these four rhetorical questions in which he answers obviously yes. He says, first of all, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God? The answer is yes. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And heaven is tilted towards those who are poor in spirit. God has chosen to pour out his grace on those who don't deserve it, his mercy towards those who cannot earn it. He's chosen them to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. He's promised it to those who love him. You've dishonored the poor man. He says, secondly, are the rich ones not the ones who oppress you? Yes, the rich ones are the ones with power and influence and control. They can buy the legal system and have it work their way. They can influence the power brokers and the politicians to make whatever system they want work. They're the ones, and they're the ones who are making it harder and harder and harder for you to be faithful as a follower of Jesus. And you're tilting your life towards them. You're playing favorites with them. You're hoping to gain some control and some influence that they have by just leveraging their affluence. Thirdly, are not the rich ones the ones who drag you into court? Say something that they don't like in the Roman context and you're in jail. Say something, do something that doesn't work out for you and for them really, oppose them, you get a lawsuit slapped on you right away. They're the ones who are dragging you to jail. Why are you, why are you playing favorites towards them, James is asking. Lastly, fourthly, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of the glorious one, of Jesus? That's the, in verse one. Show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious one, the Lord of glory. They're the ones who blaspheme his honorable name. Well, we're busy buying or busy bowing down to the people of wealth and affluence and power in our culture with the hopes that they, that they share their power and culture with us and influence with us. They continue to make a mockery of Christianity by their conduct and their values. 
As James asked, and I would ask us today, why do we continue to trample over the poor, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, in order to have the favor of those who mock, blaspheme, and assault true Christianity, and then we justify it as just being locker room talk? James says you've dishonored the poor man. You've played favorites because there's nothing they can do for you and nothing they can give you. Friends, that's a sin of partiality, making distinctions, casting judgment, dividing the people of God, and then looking down the nose. God is not that way. God is not, a way, God is not one who shows partiality. You see, Christ came for those who can add nothing to his name. He showed up for us who have nothing to do that we can raise his reputation. He is the king of glory. You can't get any more glorious than he is. And he he came for us who are poor, downtrodden, broken, humbled. Jesus, the Lord of glory, we should have our eyes on him from whom every good and perfect gift comes. We should be captivated by his glory, not the glory of the wealthy and the powerful and the cool and the young and the hip that our culture says that we should have our eyes on. We should look to Jesus Jesus, who knew no poverty, became poor so that those of us who knew no affluence could inherit everything. Jesus died for his enemies. He came for the very ones that hated and looked down the nose at him. He laid down his life for the refuse and the filth of the world, the wretches, as our favorite hymn, Amazing Grace, calls us, like you and me. Friends, if we can't see that, that good gospel that Jesus has come for us, who saved a wretch like me, if we can't see that in ourselves that we're wretches and we can't see what Jesus has done for us, we will always seek the favor of the powerful and the affluent and the influencers of society. We will always divide. We will always judge. We'll never see that the judgment should be on us. That Christ has loved us. That he has given himself for us. We don't deserve one bit of his love. You see, mature faith shows no favoritism because it doesn't measure people in this way. It doesn't measure people in what they can do for us. Maybe let me ask you this to just consider and think about in your life. Are there people in the church today that you have pursued because of what they can do for you? Do you look around their congregation at Woodside and you say, hey, there's folks that I've gotten closer to, that I've tried to get closer to, that I want to spend more time with, be, be more friendly with, be in their life more because they have something they can give me, because they can open up the opportunities for me. They can elevate my life. They can make me feel better about myself. And at the same time, while you've done that, while you've pursued those people that can build up your reputation and your status, you've excluded others because of what they can't do for you. Maybe the way to ask that question is to think about this. Who do you ignore? And, and you might say, well, I don't know, ignore anybody. Okay, well, fine. Let me put it to you this way. Who doesn't exist here at this church? Who doesn't exist in your mind? Old people don't exist here. Really? They do. I made them. I know them. But maybe you think they're nobodies. And so you don't take the time to leverage your life with them. Who doesn't exist? Single people don't exist here. Why? Because maybe you just ignore them. You don't think they're here. You don't care. So you show partiality against them in that way. Ethnic minorities, they don't exist here. You just ignore them. That's partiality. If they don't exist here, and I know they exist because I see you all. I know they're here. I know we're diverse in that way. 
if, you, if they don't exist to you, could you be showing partiality in your life? You're only pursuing the relationships and the friendships and the community with the people that can build you up, that you can leverage in your life? See, friends, we, we must see to fight favoritism, we have to seek, cease measuring people by what they can give us. That's where James starts. But then he takes another step. Is we have to look inside. And if we, have, we have to measure ourselves by God's standard. We have to take this in turn and look to our own lows. Look with me at verse 8. And James turns his message to our hearts and calls us to examine ourselves. You'll notice here in verses 8 through 13, he just says, you, 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 you. And he, and he is pointing the finger here. He is saying, look, examine your heart. Examine yourself here. How do you measure yourself? He takes it back to what he calls the royal law. He says in verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. He takes us back to what he calls this royal law. That's the king's edict. It's the ethics of how we are to live as Christians. And I want to be really clear here. James is not suggesting that this is how someone is saved. If you just do the right things, God will finally love you and forgive you and you'll get saved. No, we aren't saved because of what we do. We're saved because of what Jesus has done and that translates into a life that becomes changed. It's a myth that some have that James has a different view of someone other than in Scripture, someone different like Paul or Jesus himself. Yes, Scripture says we are saved by faith alone and James would agree and I'm gonna deal with this next week. But James, in agreement with the rest of Scripture, would say that although we are saved by faith alone, that faith is never alone. It produces good spiritual fruit. So the outworking of true faith, the, the growing of true faith, the maturing of true faith is shown in its fruit. So as a Christian, James says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. If you are a person who is growing in your love for your neighbor, for other people, and, and neighbor is a far encompassing, it doesn't mean the dude that lives next to you or behind you or above you in the apartment complex. Neighbor is scripturally defined as anyone in the sphere of your life. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. Jesus taught that too. Leviticus 19.18, back to the old covenant. Jesus taught this as well. It's thoroughly Christian teaching about how we're to live. Jesus said, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, he takes it even farther, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He affirmed the second greatest commandment in Matthew 22 is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So James affirms that. It says, if you're doing that, you're doing well. You might look in your life and go, oh, yes. I am loving my neighbor well as myself. Before you, you know, before you give yourself five stars on your review here, before you pat yourself on the back, James applies this, though, to the issue of favoritism or partiality. Look with me at verse 9. The connect. He says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. So he's saying, don't think so highly of yourself. If you're, if you're seeking to fulfill the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself, and you're like, yeah, I'm doing all right, but you're showing partiality, you're playing favorites, uh, wrong. You're a transgressor. You're breaking the law. You're dishonoring God. It's the law of the king. That's why he calls it the royal law. The law convicts you as a transgressor. You're someone violating God's ways. You might argue back and say, well, wait, 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 wait. I really love, I really love my neighbor. What does partiality have to do with it? I'm a law keeper here. Well, James addresses this in verses 10 and 11. He has some really tight logic about this. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. 
So if you think you, you know, you've, you've got all the checklists, you pull out the Ten Commandments, and you're just clipping those off, boom, 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 one, two, three, yeah, I'm obeying that, I'm doing that, I'm here. But you fail in one, it's all a loss. He gives this example in verse 11. He, he says, let's take two commandments here. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. There they are, adultery and murder. If you do not commit adultery, you might think, yeah, I'm faithful. I don't sleep around. I'm a person of integrity in those areas. But you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. Well, wait, 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 wait. I've never killed anybody. But remember, Jesus attaches anger to murder. Anger is the seed of murder. And isn't that where partiality falls in anger? It's a, it's a less aggressive kind of hate, maybe the passive aggressive kind, but those others that we ignore and diminish and push out of the way and exclude from our lives, we are expressing a passive aggressive hatred towards them. And we're violating the law. So we're guilty of it at every point. You have become a transgressor of the law. And the reason he says this is for us to examine ourselves. I know this is heavy. He wants us to measure ourselves by God's standard. Are we people who play favorites? Are we guilty of the sin of partiality? James calls us in a positive direction. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We don't stand under the law of the old covenant any longer, but we have been freed from our enslavement to sin. We've been freed from our shackles to live under the law of Christ, the law of liberty. And his law is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to be people of love in this world. So now we have to come to realize that we will stand before the judge who will judge us based on the law of liberty and love. Are we loving other people? It's all about what partiality comes back to. Our ignorance, our divisiveness with other people, our exclusion of them, it's all hatred. It's lack of love. We'll be judged for that. So in light of that future judgment, today, now we're to speak and we're to act, knowing that we will be judged. And this is how it works itself out in verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, because mercy triumphs over judgment. This is how Jesus called us to live in light of the mercy that we had been given. This is how the grace of God and the gospel works. We have been shown much love, so we are to love much. We have been forgiven much, we are to forgive others much. No mercy shown as a result of being given mercy. If you call on the name of Jesus and say, I've been forgiven of my sins, Christ died for me, he loves me, he's been merciful to me, then mercy should just overflow in your life. But if you withhold mercy, it reveals you, don't, you haven't received mercy. You don't get it. Zechariah 7.9 puts it like this. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. You may say, oh, this sounds like social justice and this, this is not a social gospel. I, I want to tell you, friends, this is the way the gospel works itself out in our lives. It is a socially impacting gospel. That we are to show mercy. We are to love others. We are to show kindness. Not to be oppressors, but to be liberators. To be lovers. 
even from our hearts. As Jesus put it, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, if you don't show mercy, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The mercy that we show in this life, not partiality, is what triumphs over judgment. So friends, I want to call us back to to measuring ourselves by God's standards. His standard is a standard of love and mercy and kindness to us. His standard welcomes in the outsider, welcomes in the other, welcomes in the one that we wouldn't normally want to hang out with or the one that wouldn't give us any advantage or reputation or influence in this life. His standard is the one that goes to the weakest, the lowest, the most forgotten and shows love. Will we incline ourselves towards others who the world would deem wretched? Or are we pining for the attention and favor of those that we believe will give us platform and prominence in our lives and in culture? Will you give mercy and love or will you show partiality and favoritism? Mature faith shows no favoritism. I ask you just today to, to examine yourself. Partiality shows itself in our racism, our sexism, our ageism, our educational and economic disparities and partialities. Are there people you're dividing in the church? You look across this room and say, out and in. People that you speak down against. You judge in your heart with evil thoughts. Examine yourself. A mature faith is a faith of love. It loves people as Jesus has loved us. Unconditionally in spite of our hostility, in spite of our rebellion. I believe there's areas of repentance for us here. And the good news is that as we confess our sins, as we repent, as we humble ourselves before the Lord and before one another, we are healed. So let's grow in our faith. Let's, let's humble ourselves. Let's make things right and believe the good news of God's love for us and then let it work itself out in our love for everyone. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.